This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. Welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm your other host, sometimes host, Matt Scalina. And Corey, I just want to get the elephant out of the room here to begin. You sound like you have COVID. You'd think so. I've had no voice going on two weeks now. It's this just... is so last week, just to be clear, you and I were in this room for uh, you know, social distancing, but in yeah. a fairly small confined space yeah. for I would say over an hour. And I didn't even notice your voice. And at the end of everything, as we were walking out, you said, don't worry, I had a negative test this morning, yeah. which of course. If I was lying to you, you wouldn't be here this week. No. You'd be at home in bed. Yeah, so exactly. You, you know. I did not. And it sounds like you're still having issues, but there's no COVID involved. Everyone can no, rest assured. No, I just, I just never shut up. That's my problem. I talk 24 seven and it's obviously caught up to me. And now I sound, I sound like this, which could completely creep out all the listeners this week. <laughs> <laughs> Even from afar, they're trying to keep their distance. Exactly. So, Corey, who do we have on the show this week? Today, we have Marianne Dakotis, who's a multifamily specialist with our William Wright team out in our Langley office there. Marianne's been involved in some fairly large uh, multifamily sales over this past year and years before that. So, it's an asset class we haven't really covered just yet, and it operates differently, both from a financing standpoint, in some cases, a leasing standpoint with the RTA or the Residential Tenancy Act. You're providing beds. For people versus spaces that typically are occupied by businesses that provide jobs. So it operates a little bit differently. Probably the highest demand asset class, you could probably say, even with industrial as high as it is over the past five years, multifamily's probably been on the higher radar there. And then also probably one of the most aggressive asset classes when it comes to sales with cap rates being so incredibly low in that asset class. It operates almost independently from most commercial spaces. So multifamily, as I understand, is basically the, essentially the black sheep of the commercial industry because it operates totally differently. It said to everybody else, I'm going on my own. And, and <laughs> but the one thing that, uh, and we talk about it with Marianne as well, but the demand for multifamily outpaces the rest of commercial. And yet the opportunities in my mind, it's harder to see. I guess the stability is the play, right? It's harder to see where the big opportunities lie. Yeah. So when you're buying multifamily, you're getting usually a lot lower cap rate on it than you might find in other asset classes. But the vacancy rate consistently is probably sub 1%. So the trade-off is I'm going to have little to no vacancy in my asset versus if I buy a retail strip center, maybe I might have you know two of my five units can be vacant at one point. But as those units turn over in multifamily, you can bump up the rents to whatever the market will pay. So you can get your numbers up on it. But that's the trade-off is you've got little to no vacancy almost everywhere in that asset class that the income is just stabilized. And the challenge, of course, which we talk about with Marianne too, is when the margins are so tight yeah. and interest rates are set to bump, yeah. it has a greater impact. Yeah. And if you remember too, if you go back uh, when the liberals were in power before the NDP took over the house, there was a, a minimum 2% increase plus 
a calculated amount based on inflation. Right. That let's say, for example, would be between like, you know, three or three and a half percent. That was your maximum rent when the NDP got in power. Increase. That was the maximum. Maximum increase. Sorry. And NDP got in power. They took away that flat 2% and just reduced it to just whatever the inflation rate was or the calculation to get it. And this year in 2022, the maximum rental increase for tenants is that are currently in the property is 1.5%, which makes it very challenging if I have, say, a 10-unit building, my insurances are going up, my property well, taxes are going December up. And December inflation was 5%, yeah. I think. So, so costs to operate the building are going up. My tenants are paying me gross rents and my rent's going up by 1.5%, but my building operational expenses could be going up between 6 8 and 10% with all my costs. So right. you know, that's where you got to turn the tenants over. And then the rent kind of goes, but I mean, it doesn't, it's not, but, as, but there's so many regulations in place. Turning tenants over is basically, it's, it's a tenant leaving at yeah, that point. Exactly. It's a tenant so deciding it, they again, leave. it operates on its own, its own merit versus the other asset classes. But the trade-off is it's probably the most stable asset class of all asset classes with the exception of maybe what industrial's done over the past five years with almost little to no vacancy. Right. Right. And maybe just as a final comment before we we have Marianne join us here, Corey, we talk, and you just mentioned cap rates. We talk about cap rates. Can we just spell out for anyone new to the show? Because I think we've talked about what capitalization yeah. rate means, but can we just spell out just so everybody's on the same page when we're talking about cap rates, what we're talking about? For sure. So cap rates is is when you run a building, whether it be a multifamily building or any commercial asset you're going to get down to what you call your NOI or your net operating income. So hypothetically, based on this example, this building has a $100,000 net operating income. That's the money I use for debt servicing. So when we talk about that, we don't include mortgage payments. We don't include that stuff. It's just my building operational expenses. I have $100,000 in net operating income. I buy a building for $1 million. I would divide my net operating income of $100,000 into the purchase price, which is $1 million, which in this scenario would give me a 10% cap rate. Well, we all know that doesn't exist in today's world. So when we're referring to cap rates, it's how much money does the building have left over after expenses divided into my purchase price. Now, as my rents go up over the years, my acquisition cost hasn't changed. So my cap rate will increase, hopefully, year over year, every three or five years as I turn my rents because my returns are getting bigger because my rent is going up, but my acquisition cost from years earlier has not changed. Right. Right. So you, when there's a strategy when you're buying things where you might have a little bit lower cap rate now, but a lot of rents are coming due in a building where I'm going to turn that building over from a leasing standpoint in the next 24 months that I buy it today, maybe on a three and a half cap rate. But after I turn the rents, maybe I'll see a cap rate of four or four and a half when I renew all these leases. So there's strategy involved in under-market leases when you're acquiring buildings. Fantastic. Well, before we get to Marianne Dakotis, Corey, there's a sponsor this week, is there not? We're always sponsored by our great friends over at Impact Commercial with over 50 years of commercial lending experience. Go see Alan and the guys over there at impactcommercial.ca and multifamily is right up their alley. So after this show and you hear about Marianne and you look in your bank account and you got that 2 million sitting there and you want to leverage it, call Al. Call Al. And uh, we just had Al, it hasn't been released yet, but he was on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast uh, just because he's such a great guy and we've never talked about commercial financing. He's, he's great. It was a great conversation. And, yeah, he's amazing. Uh, it's so great talking to guys like Al over at Impact Commercial. But Corey, maybe we should cut to our talk with Marianne Dakotas. Enjoy, guys. 
All right, we're here today with Marianne Dakotis, multifamily specialist with William Wright Commercial in their Langley office. Marianne, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. Very well. Yeah, thanks, Marianne, for taking the time today. It's kind of exciting. I feel like it's surprising that we haven't talked about multifamily extensively on on the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast yet. Well, the problem is Marianne's just so busy selling buildings that we can never get her on. <laughs> That's the problem. So I, I, had, uh, I had to threaten her to get her to come on the show. So all of our guests That's have been waiting right. for this for a while. <laughs> Marianne, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, what you do over there at William Wright Commercial in Langley? Sure. So I, my background is I've been in real estate for, oh gosh, probably over 15 years in some capacity. I don't want to age myself too much, but uh, yeah, I was born and raised in a in real estate pretty much. And I guess you could say it's in my blood and and I've been, yeah, doing it for about 15 years. And are you from uh, the lower mainland, uh, Mary? Yes. Yes, I am born and raised. Right on. So what attracted you to real estate? Well, I guess you could kind of say that I was convinced by my dad that there was no other profession in the world. So <laughs> I, I took his advice and it, yeah, I haven't looked back and yeah, it's been really wonderful. I love working with all sorts of different people and, you know, really understanding what their needs are. And, you know, if something isn't available to them on the market, I do spend a lot of time you know, finding that perfect acquisition for them. And I've had a lot of success with my clients and repeat clients because I do give them such special attention. Marianne, maybe you can just sort of break down a little bit for us. Like the multifamily asset class operates differently than most of the other commercial asset classes under the commercial umbrella. Can you just give us some baseline information of why the the multifamily asset class operates differently? Yeah, for sure. So, with multifamily, you have a little bit different of a financing option, such as CMHC financing. And with that, the CMHC can offer lower interest rates, longer amortizations, and lower of a down payment in some cases. Okay, so then if I understand right, Marianne, you have the financing is different than, than in other commercial asset classes, correct? Yeah, it can be. There's conventional lending still on multifamily building, but CMHC opens up a good avenue for people that want to obtain lower interest rates and have longer amortization periods and not put as much money down. In some cases, CMHC will allow a 15% down payment. So just so I understand, just thinking about the financing kind of component here, on the residential side, CMHC is involved as in the insurer, right? If you're putting down less than 20% or as one of the insurers that is potentially involved. In a case like this, if you're interested in commercial real estate and you're you're thinking about multifamily, does everyone have access to the, the lower interest rates and the higher amortization periods with CMHC? No. So CMHC does require some qualifications. So essentially, the building has to be a certain number of units and there's a loan amount that is required, like a base loan amount. It also has to cash flow. So, you know, if if we're looking at really skinny cap rates, you're going to need to put more money down. So it's not accessible to everyone, but 
it's a nice alternative to conventional lending. And it just also gives buyers a different option than conventional, but there is qualifications that you have to meet to get CMHC financing. And one of the biggest reasons why CMHC exists as an insurer for multifamily buildings is because you're providing housing for people. Right. Versus if you buy retail or industrial or office or self-storage or whatever, you're not providing housing in most cases. You're providing places for work and investment opportunities. So CMHC gives investors and multifamily owners the opportunity through that by having some maybe some more aggressive interest rates and some longer amortization periods than you would traditionally find because you are providing housing at the end of the day for people. I'm just thinking about kind of for for somebody listening that, you know, is potentially interested in commercial real estate, but but the mom and pop investors where this this starts to get interesting, especially with the lower down payments here. I guess a few different questions about multifamily here in the lower mainland. One is if you're able to access the CMHC criteria or terms, what kind of amortization are we talking about? And what would 15% look like even on like a small multifamily building in the lower mainland? Like what are these buildings selling for even, a you know, kind of to get in? It really just depends on the number of units and where you're looking when we're looking at the price. So it's kind of hard to say. And it really, every, every scenario is different. So, you know, I can't really say if, you know, an 11 unit building in, in Vancouver is going to qualify for a CMHC loan only because the cap rate would probably be less than 3%. So already it wouldn't be really cash flowing at that point. Right. But if you're looking, you know, maybe somewhere in Chilliwack where, you know, you have maybe 20 units and it's it's a higher cap rate, then they would maybe, you know, look at look at doing something like that. But if anyone's interested in the financing aspect, I would definitely recommend talking to a mortgage broker to see really where you fit. So I think that would be the first place to start if somebody's interested in multifamily mm-hmm. is to really talk to a mortgage broker. I know First National is the biggest lender of CMHC financing. So, you know, the guys at Impact Mortgage could definitely, you know, talk to somebody at First National for a potential client looking to get started in the multifamily. I think that would be their best bet. I'm just wondering, maybe even going back, and this maybe should have been a question prior to the financing, but when does multifamily move or when do we move into multifamily? Like if you're buying a duplex, say, you know, like a full duplex or a fourplex, when do we hit that kind of commercial grade? Like how many units does that require? Is there a hard and fast rule? Yeah, it, 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 there is. So it's five units and more in a building. So if you're at four, you can still go for residential financing. And once you hit that five, you would be qualifying as in commercial lending. One of the biggest things that, that differs is the leasing aspect of it versus in commercial, you typically have your own landlord standard form lease for your buildings that are all mm-hmm. done through triple net. Marianne, the RTA and the leasing aspect of that, because it is governed by the province. Can you just talk to a little bit? And just to be clear, RTA for listeners, Residential Tenancy Act, right? Correct. Yeah. So it's governed by the province. The province controls the maximum increase, all that stuff. Marianne, can you touch base a little bit more on the leases and the leasing aspect of it, how it's dramatically different than most of the other commercial asset classes? Sure. So once you sign a lease with a residential tenant, you're only allowed to increase their rent by the set amount. And so this year it was only 1.5%, which can 
be a disadvantage to some multifamily owners if their, you know, property taxes and insurances gone up. They can't really quite recoup that cost. But the plus side to owning a multifamily building is it's very attractive because the vacancy rates are lower and, you know, somebody always needs a place to live. So, you know, it's a less risky type of investment, so to speak. I know nothing seems risky right now, but mm. everything just keeps going up. But it's a less, you know, less vacancy. And it's also good because multifamily buyers can start small with, you know, five units, six units, seven units, and then work their way up, you know, once they get more expertise in, in dealing with, you know, tenants, the residential tenancy board, and all that. So it does make it still attractive for investors, even though the rental increases can't happen, say, in a commercial a unit where you can increase the additional rent to coincide with your growing expenses um, yearly. And one thing, too, that from an investment standpoint, a lot of people figure out when they go into commercials, you have triple net leasing, right? Where you negotiate a base rent, but then all of your costs are passed on to the tenant and they fluctuate on an annual basis. Your insurances, your property taxes, strata fees, and so on. In multifamily, that doesn't happen. And one of the challenges with the multifamily asset class is if I'm collecting $2,000 a month from Marianne, my tenant, out of that, Mm -hmm. I have to pay all those operating costs as a building owner. And right now, one of the challenges with inflation is you have a maximum increase in 2022 of 1.5% on your rents. But there's a, a very high probability you might have overall operating expense increase of 6 8 or 10% with your property taxes going up, garbage, recycling, building insurance, repair and maintenance. So that is one of the challenges in the multifamily asset class. And when vacancy is literally at almost zero, depending on where you look, these units aren't turning over at a pace that's, fast enough. That's the challenge. Yeah, the, the vacancy is a double-edged sword, right? You know, it's great for stability. Yeah, But nobody wants to move because it's so hard to find. Well, if you look at it and let's say, for example, you had a building that had 10 units and you turned over one per year, hypothetically, that building could take 10 years for you to stabilize the income on it. As the rents continue to go up year over year, that first unit that you turned over last year is already out date with regards to market rents in year Mm -hmm. two. Right. So that's the thing that when you're buying these assets, you want to have a fundamental understanding of how the vacancy rates, the turnover rates, and all that stuff impacts your bottom line. And this area of the market, as I understand, Marianne, has been very busy, right? Over COVID and before, multifamily has been a very hot area of the commercial real estate world, correct? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we the reason why we're seeing this is because we live in the most beautiful city in the world, arguably, and housing prices are just so high that renting is really the only option for people. So demand is there, you know, coupled with, you know, some immigration and that, you know, our economy has been doing well for the last, you know, 15, 20 years. So it's a very stable investment when you invest in in multifamily. Um, But Corey, just to touch on one thing that you mentioned in regards to recouping some you know, cost increases. So back in 2018, the BC government did introduce some capital expenditures allowance that landlords can charge back to the tenants. So how it works is if they had to replace some major components, such as the heating system, they can take that cost and 
submit it to the residential tenancy board and get approval to charge the tenants a maximum of 3% per year to help cover the cost of that of those capital costs. So that encourages landlords to, you know, maintain their buildings, maintain the operating systems and allows them to recoup some of that some of that cost. You know, one thing that strikes me is if you read in the media generally, and there's a couple of usual suspects, I feel like, that get raked over the coals when you're thinking about the West End and other areas about, you know, the evil landlords in the multifamily area. But the numbers are really tough to make work if you're buying a building by by the sounds of things. And the Residential Tenancy Act is not, at least at this year, clearly not keeping up with inflation. Yeah. I know from past conversations when we've kind of briefly touched on multifamily, the last couple of years has been very busy in this this asset class. And it seems like interest rates have been a driving factor in people making these purchases. Marianne, what's your sense of what happens if interest rates increase, you know, three, four, five times this year or, or over the next year or two in the multifamily landscape? Yeah, if if they increase, it will definitely affect the cap rate and therefore the prices of multifamily. It just doesn't make sense for someone to buy a multifamily building that's giving him or her a 3% cap rate when the rates are at 3%. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. So it will put downward pressure on prices and upward pressure on cap rates. And, and do you think... Do you see people who have bought in the last year and a half, two years, like being underwater, you know, feeding these buildings month over month if the interest rate goes up a quarter point or half a point? Quite potentially, but I know banks hedge against this. So they they usually want to have some cash flow. So, you know, if somebody's buying a building, if it's not cash flowing, they have to put down 30 to 50% of their down payment. So they can kind of avoid, you know, any change in the interest rate being underwater. So I think that the lenders do kind of hedge against that with bigger down payments. So, so if I understand, based on what you said previously, though, if so interest rates go up, cap rates have to go up. So we're going to see potentially some downward pressure on pricing in this market. Does that, does demand dry up or is it just a, a kind of repricing of, of the asset? Yeah, I don't think demand will dry up, but if you look at it just simply like multifamily buildings, you have to manage it. There is some work, you know, that you need to do. Investors will start looking at other avenues of investment, right? If they're not making any money at at owning these and managing these buildings, I mean, it just doesn't make sense that they would keep wanting to own and manage the buildings. So uh, I would, yeah, I would agree that you know, the prices could come down to make the cap rates get increased, but I don't think the demand will dry up for buyers because, again, we have a supply issue. We don't have a lot of rental stock. We have, you know, people that can't afford to get into the real estate market, so they have to rent. And it's still a very safe place to put as an investment, as people always will need a place to live. Right. Right. And I just want to make sure we've covered our bases in terms of where we see the the key differences between multifamily and and the rest of commercial real estate. So there's the financing is different, especially when it comes to CMHC's involvement. It sounds like the down payments are lower. It's a little bit easier to get in. We have the 
I guess from an investor's standpoint, the negative impact of the Residential Tenancy Act, limiting what you can do, the triple net lease that's available in other commercial assets is not in multifamily. Is there, are there other differences that we're missing here? Um, no, I think you got it. I mean, I just want to clarify though, with the down payment situation, it is really on a case by case basis. Like I have a multifamily investor who is able to put down 15% because they have a big track record and, and all of that. So, you know, it's just, a, it's another avenue for people to look at. So again, like somebody is interested in getting into the multifamily and they want to know all of their scenarios, I would start with a mortgage broker and then I would come and then I would start the multifamily search because then you can have eyes wide open. You know what you're putting down. You know what kind of unit mix you need to look for. You need to know what kind of cap rate you need to look for to qualify for that CMHC loan. Right. So yeah, that's where I would start. So it's not everyone can get that lower down payment, but it certainly is an option in, in some cases. So Marianne, I'm just curious, who who are you working with? Like who's buying right now? And I guess presumably it, it depends, you know, if we're talking about, you know, the West End of Vancouver versus Maple Ridge, there's different buyers. But generally speaking, are you working with kind of mom and pop investors or institutional investors? Who's interested in multifamily? Yeah, so certainly I've worked with both. I seem to see a lot of mom and pop investors, you know, a lot of the buyers and sellers that I've been working with are mom and pop. It's not to say that I haven't been dealing with some institutional lenders, but definitely there's mom and pop investors out there. I mean, they've they maybe had a multifamily building from, you know, 80s and now they have a lot of equity in that in that building, so they, you know, they're able to refinance and and invest it into another building. So I'm seeing a lot of those uh, types of investors, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. And and just, I, and I know I've kind of covered this, or I asked this once, and it's uh, I'll just ask it again and maybe the same answer. But if you're seeing, like, if you're driving by, just because I, I have a feeling there's people listening right now that, you know, drive by a little sixplex or eight units or 12 units, say in you know, Coquitlam or Port Coquitlam. And they're like, I I have no idea what that would cost. Like, are we to get in at that kind of base level right now? Is it Mm -hmm. like, I I guess, do you do evaluation? Is it price per square foot or how are we, like, can we get a baseline for the the entry point? Okay. So to answer that question, so again, it it, it does vary. If you're looking at Say something like in Campbell River, which has an extremely low vacancy rate, considering the area, you can get into about 16 units for about 3.2 million. I just saw a listing recently in that price range. As far as, you know, something in New West, I, you know, it depends again, because these properties can have development potential. Right. So if you're looking at something that has, you know, can put a, you know, be in an assembly or you can build on it. And, you know, again, the price is going to be a little bit more up there, but I would probably say anywhere between, you know, 3 million to to 5 million, depending on the number of units. Mm -hmm. And then, so I think that would probably be the entry for, you know, the small of the smaller scale. But again, if you're going outside of the lower mainland and going to the island, there's a good example. You can get 16 units for the same price as you could maybe get, you know, 
six or seven units in, in somewhere like New Westminster. Now, on the show, we've talked a lot about markets that have been attractive for commercial investments. What markets are a lot of investors clamming for right now with regards to multifamily? Yeah, so I'm seeing a lot of demand for the Kelowna market, the Victoria market, Port Coquitlam market, you know, Maple Ridge. So I'm seeing, you know, a lot when buildings come for sale, I see a lot of transactions out in those areas. And in Vancouver, it's a little bit, it's a little bit tight. I would say the cap rates are just really low. I'm not seeing a lot of my buyers anyways attracted to that market, but definitely the the, the more uh, niche markets out in, yeah, in somewhere like Port Coquitlam or, or Burnaby or Kelowna, there's definitely a huge demand for Kelowna right now. So if I'm an investor and I'm looking for what is the next multifamily market, is it fair to say that I should follow the population trends of growth? Say if a market like Campbell River, for argument's sake, or Nanaimo was had a above average growth rate from a population standpoint, with housing prices being so unaffordable for so many people. Is that a good strategy for me as an investor to follow like the population trends? Yeah, like I'd follow the path of progression. So somewhere like Nanaimo, people are going to be getting priced out of Nanaimo for rental. So the next place would maybe be something like, you know, like Parkville and then, you know, Courtney and then, you know, Camel River. So, you know, if, if we're looking here, it was Vancouver and then, you know, people started getting, you know, a little bit priced out of that market. So they... They came to Burnaby and New West, and now we're seeing it going all the way up to the valley, all the way up to Chilliwack. So, yeah, I would definitely say follow the path of progression and just, you know, keep in mind, like, if, if rents start getting a lot for people, they will move to the next city where the rents, are, where they can get a little bit better rent. But, of course, we're a little landlocked here, so there's not too many places for people to go. But uh, and, yeah. if, and if you're following that progression, I would guess the cap rates are more attractive as well, right? So the, the numbers work in Campbell River in a way that they maybe don't here. And you can kind of get in at that, essentially go back in time in the Vancouver model and get in at that that point where the cap rates are still attractive and presumably over time, all things continuing a pace here, the cap rates in those kind of tertiary markets are downward trending. Marianne, before you answer that, I feel like I just took the trading wheels off my kid's bike because <laughs> Matt would not have had that same observation I, six months ago. I was I'm, say, I am so proud of you right I, now. I, I'm <laughs> learning. <laughs> yeah. So basically we are seeing that already. So somewhere like Chilliwack, you know, we've seen some sales trans transact in the under four percent cap rate, and so we've ar- we've already kind of seen cap rates come down in these. And and just markets. so just for listeners and to either of you, and not to put anybody on the spot, but Chilliwack two, three, four, five years ago, were the cap rates like what would be a kind of a an expected cap rate in say twenty fifteen or twenty seventeen? I would say you know five six percent would be my would be my guess but I'll, I'll, I'll help Marianne out yeah. as well is if you look at like the Victoria market and you go back three maybe four years now maybe five I can't really remember to be honest with you you would find cap rates over there like five five and a half percent in the multifamily and what investors did especially institutional investors and larger companies they looked at the vacancy rates of greater Vancouver 
and looked at the vacancy rates of Greater Victoria. And in Vancouver at that time, you were probably seeing cap rates probably around 3 or 3.5% three at probably like a sub 1% vacancy rate. You'd go over to Victoria and find almost an identical sub 1% vacancy rate and get 5 or 5.5%. So instantly, I'm not paying for my risk, as we say, because my vacancy rates are the same, but I'm getting a lot higher return on my money. And what happened was, fast forward 2022, those cap rates in Victoria are now in that 3 to 3.5% range. So hypothetically, on the exact same income, you might have seen your building increase by almost a third in value just because the cap rate compression kicked in. Demand went up for it. Prices went up. Incomes didn't really move to a whole lot because vacancy rates were so low, yet the value of the property went up because the cap rates compressed. And I get, but I guess the question is for the Campbell Rivers. Yeah. They, uh, they would be a higher cap rate, say, compared to like a downtown Vancouver. Right. When you go into these other markets, you would get a little bit more bang for your buck because demand for the product wouldn't be, say, as high in downtown Campbell River as you might find in downtown Victoria or downtown Vancouver. Right. The risk is is just higher for vacancy, yeah. presumably, and, and, and just a smaller market risk. And, and to Marianne's point, that's where if you follow like the flow of where the people are going is vacancy rates will come down in these markets as more people go to them from a tenant standpoint that will create cap rate compression demand for that market will grow your investment will appreciate quite simply on the same income just based on demand for the product like the victoria example Mm -hmm. right so one thing you want to make sure is when you're going into these secondary and tertiary markets is make sure you have an understanding of what the cap or the vacancy rates are where if you look at something let's say in edmonton that might have a much higher cap rate. I don't know what they are offhand, but let's say just purely for an example standpoint, let's say seven on a multifamily building or eight, but it might come with a 10, 12, or 15% vacancy. By the time you flush that stuff out, I had a your guy, cap rate drops. I had a, I had a guy pitch me uh, a multifamily building in Rivers, Manitoba this summer. What was the, what was the cap rate, 26? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'd been vacant for years. That was the only problem. <laughs> Marianne, I, I just have a question here just thinking about say downtown Vancouver where it's 3% cap rate or or potentially lower the play there just so i understand it is is just essentially super safe stable investment correct because as i understand it with the residential tenancy act and the inability to really raise rents very quickly it's hard to it's hard to see those prices going up anytime soon do i have that right with Vancouver in particular, we've seen a lot of land value increase. So that's one way to, you know, increase value of the overall building is to have the, all of the markets, you know, uh, come up. Um, right. But the other, the other ways you can, you know, increase value is, you know, sometimes buildings are mismanaged and, you know, you can you can change how you know, you operate the building when you purchase it that can save you money. You know, you can upgrade to, you know, different systems to help with overall cost of, of running uh, running the building. And then, of course, you know, some develop, re- rezoning and development potential is another way to increase value of a, you know, of a, of a building, say, you know, in Kitsilano or the West End of, of Vancouver. One of the scary words in real estate over the years was shadow flipping. Mm-hmm. One of the equally scary words was renovations, where people mm-hmm. would buy these buildings, move these tenants out, 
renovate the building and then lease it at fair market rates. Marianne, can you maybe touch a little bit on what renovations are and how a lot of cities have come forward with plans on how you have to do it if you do it, or some cities have pretty much made it so hard to do that they've actually deterred people from doing it altogether? Yeah, so they have definitely put a stop to that type of practice because, yeah, it was putting a lot of renters in the lurch where they all of a sudden couldn't afford the place that they had been living for, you know, some cases, you know, 10, 10 years or, or whatever the case may be. And yeah, it was kind of, it was, you know, the cities got a lot of complaints. And so they, they kind of put an end to, to that. There are some communities that still allow it, but you have to, you know, pay the tenants and then you have to allow them to move back in at the same rate they were paying. So again, it kind of deters anybody from, from wanting to do that. Um, it, it also deters people from just doing general maintenance and upkeep, presumably. <laughs> That's one of the challenges is, is, yeah. is, is if you have, and Marianne touched a little bit on some new programs that have come out that have allowed landlords to apply with the residential tenancy branch or a, a branch with regards to some other, other just what we call capital costs for the building. Right. But yeah. if I buy a multifamily building, let's say in Vancouver, and I'm getting maybe a two and a half percent cap rate on it today. Hard to replace the elevator. That if my elevator goes, that might hypothetically be a couple of years of rent to collect, yeah. to get that money back. Yeah. Right? So then it changes it dramatically. So when you're buying these assets, especially these older assets, you really got to make sure you get a good inspector in there and really get the, the professionals to take a look at it so you can budget properly moving forward because some of these buildings could end up in a bad position if they're not properly maintained or there's a lot of what we call deferred maintenance on the property after you close on it. Right. Yeah. There are like two types of buyers too, I'm finding, you know, some buyers really just want all of the capital improvements done and they want their building very turnkey so they don't have to worry about it. And they're, they're getting like a little bit lower of cap rates because they know, well, the elevator's been fixed, the roof has been done, that sort of like the units have been turned so I can just be very hands-off. And right. then I have other buyers that are, I want to be able to capitalize on, you know, doing the turns and, you know, upgrading the building and, and, and then, you know, buying it at a little bit higher of a cap rate. So there are definitely two ways of looking at it, which, which is good. Right. Right. Depending on, I guess, your level of energy and, and goals, but, uh, yeah, wow, exactly. interesting. You know, it's I, I feel like Corey's made the case over and over that commercial is the space to be in over residential. And one thing that is challenging about multifamily is it has a lot of the constraints. Well, I guess it's, re, it, you know, beds, yeah, right? It, it but it has it has a lot of the constraints that we see in the residential market for investors and the, and the challenges. The attractive part of, from an investment standpoint, if I have a retail building, and I might I release it to some tenants. I'm going to have much more landlord intensive work with regards to free rent and fixturing and tenant improvement allowances and all that stuff that has to go into it. So my out of pocket costs versus multifamily. And I'm not saying you can't improve your units because you can. Uh, multifamily, the demand for that asset class from a tenant standpoint is so high, you may not have to have the same level of knowledge, or you may not have the same level of commitment to it from a time perspective that you might find in typical commercial investments as you do in multifamily because you are providing bets mm-hmm. and they're very, the stable, they're, they're very stable type investments. And if you look at it as those units turn over and Marianne moves out of her unit and Bob moves in, 
when Marianne moves out, you can charge whatever you want to charge for the unit based on the market demand for it. So, you I mean, you, you get what they call legacy leases where some guy's sitting in a building, he's been there for 15 years, and he's paying $925 for a three-bedroom on the top floor. Right. But when he moves out, you know, you have the choice of either upgrading the unit potentially or just putting it up for rent at whatever price you see fit. So these numbers do climb with time. They're not sort of just stagnant and no one doesn't move out. Right. There's just a little bit more strategy involved. That's all. Right. Yeah. We we had a building, I sold a building and like within the first 12 months, 12 people moved out. So it was almost, it was over 30% of the building. I think, hold on. I don't know if my math makes sense there, but um, anyway. A lot, a lot yeah. of tenants moved out and the owner was able to get those rents up to market much quicker than anticipated, which generated yeah. a much higher cap rate for them really, really quickly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Marianne, we know we know you're busy selling buildings left, right, and center. We got our, our little six pack here. We ask you six lighthearted questions so we get to know you outside of the office. Do you have a few more minutes for us? Yes. So the six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law for all your commercial and multifamily legal needs. Visit them <laughs> at redpointlaw.ca. All right, Marianne. So I got the first question up. Favorite company you've ever worked for in your life? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I definitely William Wright commercial. Oh, that, that was a close. Here as a broker, so. and, and Red Robin ran a close second, probably from your teenage years. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Favorite vacation spot? Um, I would have to say Playa del Carmen. I, I don't know. I love all inclusives. I know that sounds super tacky, but I absolutely love ordering room service at all hours of the night, knowing that it's free. <laughs> Well, prepaid for, I should say, and having a pina colada for breakfast. So, Playa del Carmen. Sounds good to me. Uh, along those lines, exactly. favorite bar, favorite bar or restaurant. And I, I will tell the listeners this just to preference it, so you know, Marianne's mail previously to COVID would get delivered to the Roxy for her. Oh gosh, I mean. I'd have to say Marcello's on Commercial Drive. Oh, nice. Um, Very good one. And then obviously the bougie in me has to say Giardino on <laughs> down in downtown Vancouver, but uh, definitely Italian restaurants all the way. Very nice. A book mm-hmm. you'd recommend to our listeners? Well, I was kind of going back and forth with this one. Um, I'm kind of like whimsical, so I would definitely say... You know, something like The Power of Now or, you know, Gabby Bernstein is also a good author. It just kind of reminds you more to live in the moment and don't worry about the past or worry about the future. So, you know, I kind of like reminders um, of that. So I typically kind of tend to go towards those books. Fantastic. Favorite TV show or movie? Okay, so my favorite TV show is anything Real Housewives. Um, oh, wow. Hey, that's that's Matt's favorite TV <laughs> I was show. Say, <laughs> that's Matt's favorite TV show. Friends. Like, I'm always making connections during the six pack. <laughs> and uh, I guess favorite movie like of all time. Like I have lots of movies, but I really do love Happy Gilmore. I find myself like quoting 
that was not where i thought we were going yeah i i I didn't see that one coming but hey i guess that's what happens when you get uh when your guest is on the uh real housewives of maple ridge right all right marianne favorite band okay so i listen to the podcast and i know 90s rap is is huge here and i don't disagree with the listeners like i love a good biggie now and then. Um, but I think my all-time favorite band, and this goes back to my high school, is probably Sublime. I can, you know, sing one of their records probably <laughs> all the way through. So that's my final answer is Sublime. Well, you know what? It's it's funny about Sublime. I, for whatever reason, it was, yeah, the tra- the soundtrack of, of my high school years, basically. <laughs> and I kind of forgot about it until a couple of years ago. And man, for almost everything that I liked in the 90s seems to have not held up very well. Sublime mm-hmm. is one though, where it's kind of timeless. And uh, I almost feel like I like, I wish I liked them more in the 90s because it's held up so well. well so sp- yeah. thanks to Spotify, you can listen to it nonstop now. <laughs> yeah. All right, final, final question for you here, Marianne. Advice for listeners or investors thinking about getting into the multifamily game? Well, from what I've learned, and I try to carry this mantra, even though I get attached to everything I do, Corey can attest to that. But investors really don't get attached to the deal. There will always be another deal, and sometimes they work out better. So just leave the emotion out of purchasing, make sure the numbers make sense, make sure the long-term vision matches your vision. And yeah. And if the seller, you know, doesn't, if it doesn't work out, then just rest assured that it wasn't meant to be. And there'll be another one shortly. As a final thing here, Marianne, I'm sure somebody's definitely wanting to reach out and learn more about multifamily real estate. How can people find out more about what you're doing at William Wright and uh, reach out to you directly? up on uh, the website. You'll see my pretty picture at the very top of the list there because I've been uh, with the company the longest, aside from that. And yeah, just reach out. No pressure if you just want to chat or you know get some more insight. I am happy to help. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Marianne. There you have it. Our interview with Marianne Dakotas, multifamily specialist with our William Wright Commercial Langley office there, but she does work throughout the province. Great insight. And she really, really unpacked kind of showing you how that asset class operates differently than most of the traditional commercial asset classes under the commercial umbrella. Right. Yeah. Much, much. I felt like I was in my wheelhouse. Kind yeah. of similar, well, similar to residential. I've never been more proud of you. When, when <laughs> I held my own during that. And, and even, would even, you say? I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was amazing. And even when, you know, and the listeners probably won't hear this because it will it'll get edited, I make a comment about how, you know, how proud I am taking off the training wheels because of how, how well it questioned. And then you make a comment about how, well, it was just an obvious question. It's obvious now because of how good you are right. at commercial real estate. Three months ago, it would right? not have been obvious. It would not have been obvious before. So I'm very proud of you. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, there's a reason I show up week in and week I'm out a, here. I'm going to start worrying about my job here pretty soon. And by this time next year, with all the, <laughs> with all the insight and knowledge you're gaining. We're taking you out. We're taking you out. <laughs> no, it was great talking to Marianne. And yeah, it, multifamily is such an interesting asset class. I feel like it's about evaluating your goals at the end yeah. of the day, right? Yeah. In terms of and these and different I'll, asset classes. 
and a lot of investors, you mean there's some companies and some investors that just want to deal in multifamily because it operates a little bit differently. That's what they know. Other companies love having multifamily within the portfolio. So almost kind of like de-risks your portfolio to some degree because it's just so stable that you might have other asset classes like office buildings or retail strip centers or you mean industrial plazas that have gone through some ups and downs depending on where you've been over the past couple of years versus multifamilies just kind of chugged along. Steady so Eddie. It is. So it's a great thing to have in your portfolio of commercial assets because it creates that stability you're looking for that you may not find in all asset classes. Fantastic. Well, what else do we have before we cut for the day? You've been lining up some big guests coming on the show. We've got some very, very big guests coming up and why they want to talk to us, I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> but we are very lucky next week to have Doug Porter, a senior economist with BMO Capital Markets in Toronto. January 26th, the Bank of Canada came out and said, we're going to hold rates where they are. Right. Surprising. Which, which I think you know, could be surprising on either side. I'm really interested to hear what Doug's thoughts on that are. And what do you think is moving forward? Because I've heard everything from some people still think we're going to get that same 1% increase, but it might be done in three incremental increases, maybe half, half, or maybe a half a percent and then quarter, quarter over the course of the year. I've heard other guys say that they think it's not going to go up as much because Omicron and obviously what that's done, they don't really want to shake it too much. But then you got inflation, which seems like it's going up every day right now. How does that play itself in? So we are so thrilled and so lucky to get Doug to join us here and sort of really unpack a lot of what they sort of foresee in the banking world in 2022 and 2023. It's it's going to be a big year. I, I, I wouldn't want to be in Tiff Macklem's seat right now. That's no, a hot seat no. at the Bank of Canada, I'll tell you that. But it, this is, Doug Porter is going to be great. So useful to talk to these, these really bright guys. Well, <laughs> I, I'm almost wondering after they get off the show, if they almost feel stupider from just talking to us, right? Like, I, I hope we don't do that oh, to our guests. Oh, come on. I hope come we don't on. do that to our guests. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Corey, how can people find out more about what you're doing at William Wright Commercial? They can visit our website, williamwright.ca, and sign up for our newsletter and all the new exciting listings and news coming out. They can send me an email anytime, Corey at williamwright.ca. Always happy to talk to people, always happy to hear their thoughts, their concerns about the show in the real estate market. And they can also reach us at our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255 anytime. And we'll put you in touch with a broker anywhere in the province that can help you. Fantastic. And always VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where the Vancouver Real Estate Commercial Podcast lives with write-ups that I uh, that I find useful. The write-ups are useful. We have the live wire, all things real estate related live over there. And you can find the commercial podcast there as well. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for joining us. With Doug Porter. I'm excited. Good one. Thanks, guys. Subscribe today.